Welcome to the BCMA podcast webinar series. This podcast is converted webinar audio. Good afternoon, everyone. We're just letting some folks filter in and then we'll get started. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the British Columbia Museums Association webinar. My name is Lorenda Calvert, and I will be your host for today. Today's webinar topic is Records Management, Practical Tips for Cultural Organizations, and is presented by Bronwyn Bird of Gallery 2. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that as an organization of provincial scope, the BCMA recognizes that its members, today's presenters, and attendees occupy the lands and territories of BC's Indigenous peoples. We ask all of you to reflect on the places where you reside and work and to respect the diversity of cultures and experiences that form its richness. I'm joining you today from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Hunkamina Muskomish-speaking people. As I mentioned, I'm Lorenda Calvert, your host for today. I'm also the BCMA's programs coordinator. I've been with the organization uh, for almost a year now, it's almost my anniversary, so uh, it's been a joy to be joining you for all these webinars. This is your first webinar, welcome, and if this is not your first webinar with us, welcome back. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and if you do have any technical um, issues or questions during this webinar, we're here to help, and you can reach out uh, to Vanessa at operations at museumsassn.bc.ca. Um, in an effort to increase our accessibility, I just want to describe the uh, photo that you see in front of, or the photo that is presented here on the screen. This is a photo of myself. I have blonde hair, blue eyes, I'm a Caucasian woman. My hair is long, um, but it's behind my shoulders, so you can't see how long it is. I'm wearing a burgundy um, shirt jacket over top of a uh, striped uh, brown, tan, and quite fuchsia um, sweater. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping before we begin. Um, please use the chat feature to ask questions or make comments. I will read your comments or questions out to our host. There will be time at the end of the presentation reserved for Q&A. Uh, the chat feature is at the bottom of your screen. It may be hidden, so if you hover your mouse at the top or bottom of your screen, a taskbar should appear, which is where you can find the chat or Q&A button, and that's where you can pose your questions. This taskbar is also where you will see a closed captioning button. We have closed, live uh, AI closed captioning enabled today. So if you click on the closed captioning button, you'll have that closed captioning at the bottom of the screen. If you'd like to read the transcription separately, you can click the button in the top left-hand corner that says live on Otter AI, live notes, view stream, and it'll take you to a separate window. As I mentioned, this month's presenter is Bronwyn Bird of Gallery 2. Now Bronwyn, I'm gonna pass it over to you uh, so I'm going to stop sharing my screen now and you can start sharing yours. Alrighty, let me do this one sec. And my goodness, so many buttons. There we go. <laughs> Hi everyone. Beautiful. So as Lorenda, okay, we're good. Looking good. Perfect. Yes, we are. All right. So as Lorenda said, I'm Bronwyn. I've been here at Gallery 2 in Grand Forks for almost two years now, and records management is part of my responsibilities here. And then before that, I was working as a records management analyst for the Regional District of Central Kootenai in Nelson for four years. 
So as the title of our webinar suggests, my objective here today is to try and provide you with some tips that will help you to successfully implement good records management practices in your organization. So while creating this webinar, I realized just how much information I wanted to share, but of course we are limited in time. So I just wanted to apologize in advance for not being able to go into um, really in-depth detail for some of the topics that we'll be discussing, but my email is on the slide. And so if afterwards, if there's certain questions that you had or had wanted some more clarification, I am more than happy to help. All right, so let's start with a definition. Um, records management, what is it? Well, it's more than just filing. <laughs> it encompasses so much more than that. So a simple definition that I like to use is that records management is the way in which an organization captures, classifies, manages, preserves, and disposes of its records and information across all formats. So this includes both physical and electronic um, records. So really the primary objective of records management is to ensure that the right information is available to the right person in the right format at the right time. And really the, the purpose of good records management is to ensure that records and information is created, used, and disposed of efficiently and economically. So let's dive into my first tip. The first tip is that you really need the support from your leadership or your management when making any kind of records management changes that impact your organization, because records management impacts everyone. So having a lack of support can really be the downfall of making any kind of meaningful changes in how you manage your records. So you really want to ensure that um, your leadership or management is supportive. So that's number one. My second tip is to start with a vision. So really, whether you're starting your records management program from scratch or you're just trying to make some improvements to an existing program, it is a change. And change really begins with a vision. So a vision is essential for meaningful change. It clarifies the direction that you're trying to move your organization in. And it's meant to be clear, easily communicated, and inspire change. So here at the gallery, we had a brainstorming session and I led everyone through a little exercise where we basically asked ourselves these questions. You know, what do we want the future of records management to look like here? Where are we going? Why are we doing this? And really the purpose of this activity was to just make sure that everyone was on board and that everyone was involved. And you know, there were no wrong answers. I wrote everything down on a whiteboard I really wanted everyone to be involved in creating a vision statement for how we want to move forward. So at the end of our brainstorming, I compiled everything and this was the vision that we came up with. So our vision for records management is to empower staff to find the right information they need to do their jobs in a system that is easy to use and understand. Records will be managed in a way that's refined, standardized, promotes collaboration and ensures that information is protected all in pursuit of following best practices and making our lives at work easier. So it is, you know, a little wordy, but really it, it, it encapsulated everything that um, everyone on my team had to say and what they felt was a good vision for records management moving forward. And really when implementing any kind of changes, whether big or small, I always brought it back to our vision and really it proved to be quite successful. And by including the entire team, it really helped with buy-in for some staff who maybe were a little more reluctant to change. 
So now my next tip is to really develop a strategy to realize your vision. So here at the gallery, I created a records management plan, which outlined our goals, objectives, and strategies for establishing, um, for successfully establishing good records management practices. So your organization probably already has a strategic plan or goals. And really a records management plan is meant to align with your strategic plan and support your ability to achieve the various goals and objectives that you have in your broader strategic plan. So the records management plan that I created for the gallery is short and succinct. So you can see here it's two pages long and we only have three goals. And really the reason why I made it so short was just so that people would read it. Because uh, if it was too long, no one would read it and no one would be willing to engage with it. Um, as you can see, you know, I have the definition of what records management is, reiterated our vision, and then I went a little bit deeper into our various goals and the objectives and strategies for achieving those goals. So um, you don't need to worry about reading all this right now because I will um, provide this records management plan to Lorenda to be able to send to everyone so that you can have a look if you're curious. So really the goals that I came up with for achieving our vision was number one, build a good administrative model. So this goal was really about having policies and procedures in place and having clear roles and responsibilities of staff because everyone has responsibilities when it comes to good records management. Goal number two was to transform information, collection, access, and use. This goal is about making meaningful changes to how we manage records and really empowering staff through those transitions because it can be difficult to make um, a change when people are so used to how they've managed records in the past. And the third goal, which I think is the most important, is to build a good information culture. So this goal is about you know, fostering an organizational culture that actually believes in the value of good records management and just making sure that staff have you know, training and information that they need to succeed. And really this goal is particularly important because in order for any kind of change to succeed, you really need to anchor those changes into your organization's culture. So creating your own records management plan doesn't need to be like a really labor intensive exercise. There's actually so many examples on the internet through the power of Google that you can reference and look at to kind of help you formulate you know, thoughts that you probably already have um, and just get those thoughts onto, um, onto paper. And I really do recommend creating a plan and then referring to it periodically to monitor your progress and success. So like for us here at the gallery, as we were moving forward, I always referred back to my plan to see whether or not we are, you know, following the objectives and strategies in our plan to achieve our goals. All right, so you have a vision, you have a plan for records management. The next step and the next tip I have is to conduct a records survey. So a record survey is essentially a, it's a process of gathering information about your organization's records and the associated business processes that create those records. And really the process of doing a record survey is just ask, answering particular questions and you'll want to interview your staff to get their perspective on, on certain things. So these are the questions that I personally like to ask whenever I do a record survey. So what's the organizational structure? 
you know, it's good to understand who, you know, what is the structure, what positions do you have in your organization? What's the history and culture of records management? It, you know, does a history and culture even exist? <laughs> you know, what policies, procedures, and guidelines exist, if any? What's your technological environment? You know, are all your computers on a network drive or connected on a network? Are you in the cloud? Do you use Macs or PCs? Um, how are your records currently being organized in terms of a folder structure? Do you even have a folder structure? Um, are records primarily paper or electronic? Where are records being stored? And that applies to both paper and electronic storage. And then are records being disposed of or is basically everything being kept from when your organization began? <laughs> and then questions that you wanna specifically ask your staff um, is, what are the main tasks and activities of your position? This question is really gonna be helpful for the next stage to understand what are the various business processes in your organization that um, create records? And then what types of records do you create, use and receive? How are you organizing records and where are they being stored? I personally love this question because I always seem to uncover um, new secret locations for records being stored. So this one's a very good one to kind of uncover those secret storage locations. And then my personal favorite question to ask is, what do you hope or expect from records management? I always ask this question because it's very good to understand um, where people are at in terms of um, their perspectives on records management. Are they super keen and excited? Or do they have reservations? And you know, if there are people who have reservations, this kind of question helps you to understand who those people are and what you might need to do to get them on board. And really the record survey is so important for understanding the functions and business processes in your organization that create or use records and to really just kind of get a snapshot of where you're at and where you're starting from. All right, so. Now we're at the stage where we can start creating the various documents that are very important to the operations of a good records management program. So if at this point you hadn't done so already, I would still recommend creating a records management plan or strategy, very important. Some other documentation that you'll wanna consider creating includes you know, various policies and procedures. The one, procedure that I highly, highly recommend creating is a naming conventions guideline. So essentially naming conventions guideline dictates how you name your electronic documents or electronic files. Um, there's no hard and fast rules to which naming conventions guideline or you want to use or what it looks like. There are plenty of examples on the internet. Really my recommendation would be find one that you like, that makes sense to you and that you know will stick because when you're moving things over into your new records management filing structure, you want to ensure that all your files are named appropriately so that there's consistency, that they're easy to locate. Um, really, you should be able to tell what an electronic file is without even opening it, just based on what its, what its name is. Um, some other policies and procedures that you, know, you could consider are things related to email, digitization, record storage, disposal of records, Etc. This list is not um, exhaustive. This was just some examples, but highly recommend having a naming conventions guideline. You will be very thankful for it. <laughs> um, but the two most important documents that you will need to create are your records manual and your retention and disposition schedule. So first let's talk about the records manual. 
So your records manual is your file plan or your file structure, however you want to call it. Really, it just details on paper how your folder structure will look like, um, you know, on your computer, as well as any physical files that you might, or physical paper files you might have. So when you're creating a records manual, the most important concept to understand is that it needs to be organized according to the functions of your organization. So a functional classification scheme is best practice. This is as opposed to organizing records by, you know, departments, your organizational chart, or by projects or topics. The reason why we organize or categorize records using a functional classification scheme is because, generally speaking, the core functions of an organization rarely change over time, or rarely change significantly over time. And you really want your records manual to be relatively static. So this is contrasted by file plans that are organized by departments, positions, or projects. You know, these kinds of things change quickly and frequently, and it can make it very, very difficult to know where to file things or where to find things. So a functional classification scheme is a hierarchy. So at the top, you have your functions. These would be the sections of your records manual. Then within each section, you have the different activities that make up that function. And these are your primaries. And then within your primaries, you have, um, you go a little bit deeper and you have the different, you know, processes or transactions that make up those primaries. And these are called your secondaries. So just looking at the example here, our section or function is finance. Within finance, we have different activities um, such as accounts payable, grants, budgets, audits, tax reporting, accounts receivable, et cetera. These are your primaries. And then within each of those, you have the secondary level. Those are, you know, you're breaking it down a little bit deeper. So for example, with accounts payable, you might have individual accounts and overdue accounts. For grants, you've got grant applications. For budgets, you know, your secondary files might be by year. Um, if you do your budgets, obviously by year, um, et cetera. So, here at the gallery, our records manual is divided into eight sections or eight functions. And these are our core functions. So you can see here in this image how it looks in our records manual, as well as then how it translates into our file explorer on our computers. So the functions that we have can be further categorized into your administrative functions and your operational functions. So the administrative functions are those that pretty much apply to every organization out there. So that would be like you see here, administration, finance, info systems and services, legal personnel. These are applicable to pretty much every organization. Then we have our operational functions. And these are the ones that are unique to your specific organization. So for us, we have curatorial, so that's like our exhibitions, our art rental program and our permanent collection events management, because we have special events, and visitor services, like our visitor center and um, programming. So your, the way that you, your organization organizes things could obviously look differently. So for example, like I said, we have visitor services is one of our functions. So here at Gallery 2, we operate the city's um, visitor center. So this section includes the visitor center, our gift shop, and education and public programs. Now your organization may not have a visitor center, but you do have 
public programming. So instead of having a section called visitor services, you might have it be called programming or public programming or something similar to that. And really your record survey, this is where the record survey becomes important because it will really help you to determine what the functions of your organization are. So at the gallery here, I led another brainstorming session to kind of determine what those operational functions were. It was also another great way to get staff involved and to let them really be a part of the process and also to help them understand where the records that they use on a daily basis would fit within this new filing structure. So looking at some of these images, you've probably noticed that there is a definite um, numbering naming convention for how for the records manual. And um, it's called a block numeric classification, where basically it just means that we use numbers to categorize our groups of records. So to give you a little bit of information about that, our sections are represented with two digit numbers. So you see here 01 administration, 02 curatorial. We only have eight, um, but in my previous work, I had 16 sections. So um, we went all the way up to 16. So this is a bit more manageable for me, um, which is kind of nice. Then when you go a little bit deeper, we have our primaries and these are represented with four digit numbers. So here in section one administration, we've got multiple or several primaries with four digit numbers. And one thing to note is that the first primary of a section is always general. So you see um, 0100 administration general. So you would see that in every other section. So we'd have finance general, legal general, visitor services general. And those general files are, or that general primary is really to hold any records that apply broadly to that section and don't necessarily fit with, within one very specific primary. So that's one of those little records management quirks. We always have a um, general primary. Then we dig a little deeper into our secondary level. And these are always two digit numbers. And another general rule, we always have the first secondary as 01 general. And once again, this 01 general, it's for records that apply broadly to that primary and but don't necessarily fit within a specific secondary. So we always have the 01 general. And then any additional secondaries after the general are always just in increments of five or 10. So here in the galleries um, records manual, we don't have, we have very few secondaries. So I just usually go 10, 20, 30, maybe 40, but, um, but we don't usually have many more secondaries beyond that. Within those secondaries though, you are likely going to have subfolders. And these are you know, within your secondaries and they're used to just keep things organized. So your subfolders could be organized by year, topic, project. It really just depends on the situation and what makes sense. And subfolders are perfectly fine. The only uh, tip I would have is to try and avoid creating you know, subfolder within subfolder within subfolder to the point where your eight subfolders in before you reach your first record or first file. So I like to sometimes, you know, for a visual reference, think of subfolders as like paper clips in a paper file. Um, and of course I had to include the old Microsoft Word paper clip just for fun. 
but that's kind of a, a good way to think about it when you're creating subfolders so that it doesn't get completely out of control. And really, if you create a good enough records manual, it'll rarely need to change. So I've been here, like I said, for almost two years. And in those two years, we've had basically no significant changes to our records manual. You know, there've been a couple little tweaks, um, but really it's stayed pretty much the same and it's been very, um, it's been very effective for us. So the next, so that we, we just finished talking about our records manual, the next important document that you need to consider is your retention and disposition schedule. So I'm sure that many of you have filing cabinets and boxes and network drives full of records um, from years past and maybe you're just not sure what to do with them or when you can get rid of them. So this is why we have retention and disposition schedules. So essentially these are schedules that tell you when you can dispose of records, both paper and electronic, and they also tell you when records have long lasting value and should be kept permanently. Just one important note um, is that the retention schedule and really the records manual as well, is that it doesn't apply to what we call transitory records. And transitory records are simply the records that have very limited short-term value that can just be routinely disposed of. So, you know, these are things like informal notes, early draft documents, duplicates, um, you know, records that you print out just for reference that they can just be recycled or shredded. They're, they're not official records that really actually need to be kept longer than a very, very uh, short time. So I personally like to keep my retention schedule as a separate document from my records manual, just because, you know, in some cases, the two are kind of put together. But I personally find that it becomes difficult to read and um, it can be a little un not user friendly. So I like to keep mine as an Excel spreadsheet. So you can see here, this is a little snapshot of um, a part of our schedule. So the retention is broken into three stages. You got your retention trigger, your total retention, and your final disposition. So your retention trigger is, it's the event that starts the retention clock. So for a lot of ours, you can see that the retention trigger is the end of the calendar year. Um, sometimes, if you look a little bit down under um, complaints, the retention trigger is when you know the complaint is resolved or no longer required. And then at the bottom, uh, the, the example of contacts or contact lists, the retention trigger is when the contact list is updated or superseded. So once the, once the retention trigger happens, you have your total retention. So this is the length of time that you would then need to keep the record. So it varies, as you can see, some are three years, we have one for 10 years, one is for one year. Um, you even have at the very bottom for contacts, there is no total retention. It just, they get fast tracked straight to the final dis disposition. Um, and then the final disposition is what ultimately happens to the record. So a lot of them, as you can see, they can get destroyed. Some of them actually, um, as you can see, like for annual general meetings, for uh, board of directors meetings, those are just permanent. So they don't, they don't even have a retention trigger or total retention, they're just permanent. And then you'll see um, for building operations and maintenance and capital projects, the final disposition is selective retention. And essentially what this means is that once the total retention has, you know, the three or 10 years is up, you would go through that file and 
essentially pick and choose. So, you know, there's some records that may have long lasting value that you want to keep permanently. And then there's some records that really don't need to be kept anymore and they can be destroyed. And really one note I wanted to, to make about the final disposition for those that are listed as destroy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you must destroy the record. It's just telling you that this is the earliest time that you can. So if there's something that has, you know, a total retention of three years, and then after three years, you, you know, just based on whatever needs your organization has, you realize hmm, we should probably keep this for just a little bit longer. You're perfectly allowed to do that. It's just, this is telling you the earliest time that you can destroy something. So unfortunately there isn't enough time today to go into really, you know, full depth into how to develop a re retention schedule, but essentially it takes time. <laughs> And it just takes, it takes researching to see, you know, is there any legislation that applies or regulations that may apply, or just what the general best practice is. And, you know, in some cases, like all of our general files, we have a retention of three years, which was simply um, just based on how long we believed that we needed those, or those files we felt they were necessary. So sometimes, you know, retentions are just based on your organization's needs. So um, yes, unfortunately we don't have time to go too, too deep into this, um, but essentially it takes a lot of time and a lot of research. And I am more than happy to provide our retention schedule as an example and our records manual, I forgot to mention that, just so you can get an, an idea of how it, um, how it could look. All right, so we've gone through a lot. Uh, we've got you know, a vision, goals, uh, we did a record survey, we've got some documentation. Now we actually need to really implement the change and empower our staff to transform how they have been um, managing records in the past. Really the key to ensuring that your organization can successfully make the change is communication and involvement. You know, if you do the brainstorming sessions with your team to create your vision statement, you know, conduct the record survey with them, include them in the process of developing your records manual, then you're really on the right track. In my own experience, I have noticed that there are definitely different attitudes towards records management. Some people are super excited and eager to change, and you really want to capitalize on those people. You know, you want to make them your champions of change and really, um, you know, carry the message of, of needing to improve how you're managing your records. And then, of course, you have some people who may be a little bit reluctant and can sometimes actually be very almost possessive of their records and how they organize them. And really, it's just important to communicate and especially early on, you know, that records belong to the organization. They don't belong to the individual that may, may have created them. And just emphasize the, the benefits of having a centralized system that's used by all staff so that you can actually access records and find what you need um, at the right time. Um, you know, I did a combination of group training or workshops as well as one-on-one -on -one training to help staff learn how to understand the new records manual, the new filing system, and it really has been very effective. All right, let's talk a little bit about the technological side of things. So here at Gallery 2, we use SharePoint as our electronic records repository as part of our Microsoft 365 <clears throat> license. Now SharePoint isn't 
an electronic records management system, you know, according to standards that exist. Um, you know, for, for instance, it can't really manage non-electronic records well, and the retention scheduling options are a little limited. But SharePoint is a very practical solution for small organizations that have limited resources. You know, there are other electronic records management systems out there. There's also third party products that you can use in conjunction with SharePoint to kind of fill in the gaps that or shortcomings that SharePoint has. But, you know, when you decide to do that, if you do decide to do that, you know, you got to consider the cost, IT requirements, the usability, training, etc. So with SharePoint, it is cloud-based, so you can access it online, which makes it very helpful nowadays um, if you have to work remotely. So you can see, our, see here at the top our SharePoint, how it looks online. But you can also sync your SharePoint to your file explorer, which is an environment that is very familiar to people. It's easy to use. Um, and so you can, that to me, that is one of the biggest benefits to, to SharePoint. And also it is relatively easy to set permissions on folders, you know, like legal and personnel files that need um, more restrictions on them. Now, for me as a records management person, if you want to call me that, um, the biggest drawback that I find with SharePoint is the retention scheduling. Um, I've noticed that Microsoft has made some improvements in the last few years to, um, to, how, to the retention scheduling, but I still find it to be incredibly um, clunky, <laughs> um, not very user-friendly. So we at the gallery don't use that functionality. And really, you know, you know, for us, we are not producing tons and tons and tons of records to the point where we can't manage retention and disposition on our own that, you know, we would need to use SharePoint's um, functionality. And like I said, it's very not user friendly. And if I find it difficult to use, then um, I'm sure many other people find it difficult to use. And so Honestly, for a small organization, I would definitely recommend SharePoint as an incredibly viable option. You know, maybe if you had, you know, 50 or more employees, maybe you might want to consider something more. But even then, I, I honestly wouldn't say that it's necessary. Um, you know, one note that I will make when when you're migrating your records from, you know, whatever you were using before into your new electronic records repository is really bring over only what you need. Um, you know, don't bring over everything because then it's just going to become, you know, a, you don't want to bring over bad habits um, per se. And really you want to rename things properly so that your new filing system really starts on a good foot and you're not bringing over um, previous bad habits. Now, I wanted to also just briefly go over some tips for managing two very specific types of records. The first being emails. <laughs> now, emails are incredibly challenging to manage as records, mostly because they are produced at like a prolific rate um, and it can be really just hard to keep up with managing them. And another major challenge is that email accounts are essentially silos, right? So like you just can't go into somebody else's email account to see an important email um, unless they share it with you or forward it to you. And this can become a huge problem when employees are, you know, away on vacation or when they leave the organization and they don't um, ensure that their emails become 
you know, get forwarded to people or become accessible. So, you know, essentially some emails can get lost that are very important. Now, it is important to distinguish the different types of emails that exist. So some emails are records and they do need to be kept and managed like any other record. So when you're determined, trying to determine if an email is a record, you know, some questions that you might want to consider is, you know, does it record official decisions or document business transactions? Does it have some sort of business, operational, legal, regulatory, or cultural value? And if it helps, one thing to think about it is, you know, if this paper, if this email was in paper form, would it be retained? Would I keep it? Now, some examples of email records, you know, they could be anything from correspondence with donors or with grantors and funders, um, complaints, or, you know, any kind of legal correspondence. Now, these kinds of emails, these important email records, they should be filed in your electronic filing system. You know, you can do this in two ways. You can actually, you know, turn emails into PDFs and then you can file them, or you can actually just keep them as that email message file and you can even just drag and drop them into your filing structure. And really it's important um, to save them in your filing system because then it makes them accessible to others who might need them. If they are kept in your email account, you know, people can't access them if they, um, if they need to. On the other hand, then you have uh, non-records, non-record emails or transitory emails. So these are your meeting invitations, responses to routine questions, personal emails, you know, the, hey, you wanna get lunch today emails. These are the kinds of emails that you can just delete once they're no longer needed. And I highly recommend deleting them as soon as they're no longer needed to, um, to keep on top. So like I said, managing emails is not easy. It's often low priority, um, but it's just one of those things that takes time to become a habit. So. You know, for me personally, I have a rule for myself to always try and keep on top of my inbox. I try so hard to ensure that the only emails in my inbox are just the ones that I haven't dealt with yet. Um, you know, I recommend creating folders and subfolders um, in your email account to try and keep a clean inbox. Now, these folders are not intended to replace your actual, you know, centralized filing system. You know, like personally, I use these folders mainly for non-records, things that I use for reference and that I only need them for a limited amount of time, but I just, I don't want them cluttering up my inbox and they eventually usually get deleted. Um, other tips I have is, you know, keep professional emails professional. Try not to mix personal information into professional emails, especially if that professional email is one that needs to be then filed and you don't want to have your personal information or personal conversations filed in your electronic filing system. Also try to keep your emails to singular topics. This makes it really um, more effective or easier to file um, emails so that you're not having to file it twice because they relate to two topics. And then like I said, just trying your best to make email management a habit because it can definitely get out of control. Now, the second type of record that I just wanted to discuss briefly is paper records. Um, you know, paper records are not entirely avoidable. Personally, I prefer to frame it as less paper instead of paperless. 
you know, it really is more important to try and just reduce the amount of unnecessary paper records than it is to try and eliminate them altogether. The biggest tip that I have is to keep your born digital records digital. Essentially what this means is that, you know, if you create a Word document, Excel spreadsheet, PDF, etc., you know, that is the official record because that is how it was created and it needs to be um, maintained that way as a digital record. It's unnecessary to, you know, print and file <laughs> where you essentially print out that Word document or PDF and then put it in a file folder and file it that you do not need to do that. You know, of course, you can print things out for, um, you know, if you need to proofread something or if you're having a, a meeting and you're printing out the agenda to, to provide to people, of course, totally acceptable, but then those records um, or those printouts can then be recycled or shredded after they're, after they're no longer needed. Now, a great way to manage records, of course, is through digitization and digitizing them with a scanner. Um, a question that I do get asked a lot is, can I destroy paper records after I scan them? And it does depend on um, a couple criteria. If the original paper record has a permanent retention, then no, you do need to retain the um, retain and maintain it in its original paper format. Um, you know, paper is still it's more stable for long-term preservation. And really the digitization of permanent paper records is mainly for access as opposed to, you know, scan and then destroy. Uh, on the other hand, for paper records that are not permanent, so, you know, they have a limited retention period, then yes, you can destroy them after digitization. However, I would definitely recommend that you have some sort of quality control when digitizing just to ensure that your scans are of an acceptable quality if you choose to then destroy the original uh, record. All right, that was a lot of information. I uh, I hope it was <laughs> I hope it was helpful and hope that it inspired some of you to make some exciting records management changes within your organization. Um, like I said before, I guess we go into questions. I will provide some of the documents that I talked about that I've created here as examples, so that you have kind of an idea of where you can start. And I guess yeah, if anyone has any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. I'm just going to take over the screen again just yeah. to pop up my question slide. Perfect. Just because it has a reminder slide um, for folks who are joining us here today. If you'd like to pose a question or have a comment, you can use the chat function or the Q&A. Um, again, if you're unsure of where to find the chat button or the Q&A button, it's in your taskbar and you just need to hover your mouse at the top or the bottom of your um, screen to uh, find that taskbar. And then I'll read your question out to Bronwyn here today. So while folks are um, writing their questions down or pondering what they've learned today, yeah, Brian, uh, and my apologies if it, it was great, it's fantastic. Um, and my apologies if you covered this. I just I heard um, you were talking about retention plans and uh, needing to do the research for things like legislature and things like that. Um, where what are the best places to explore what those policies or um, requirements might be? Like where do I start with that? Honestly, it's the simplest answer, but um, Google. <laughs> um, I mean, it is a bit of a, 
it is a challenge to try and because there really is no like maybe it exists and I just don't know like consolidated list of different legislation that includes retention you know specific retention requirements and that is the problem is that with some a lot of legislation or regulations they're actually not very specific they say things like records must be retained and but they don't give you any kind of like detail um so that is a bit of a a challenging question to answer uh because unless someone else has found it i haven't found like a a good like list or example of you know all the different legislation that would really apply um, for me personally, like I, when I was creating our retention schedule, I had spent, uh, like in my previous work, a lot of time um, researching things that applied specifically to local government, because that was where I worked. And as part of that, I did encounter legislation that does apply to um, museums and galleries as well, because it's things related to, um, like, what would, like personnel things or payroll things. But uh, I mean, unfortunately, it's things that I already knew beforehand. So, uh, you know, I, I could try and create a consolidated list. That would be something that I'm sure people would enjoy to have. Thank you. I just wasn't sure where to start. Um, previously, before joining the BCMA, I came from municipal museums. Yeah. And the city has all of these policies. They're already set. You just have to read through them and follow them. But they're there for you. Um, so it's just curious for those who, who didn't have that municipal structure already where to start but I think that summarizes it well and Google often is the first place yeah. so that's excellent my only um my um, only recommendation when doing um you know research into retention is jurisdiction because you can find some really mm -hmm. great, great retention schedules but they're from you know the United States or from somewhere else in Canada and um you know some things are apply and translate but some things don't because some or you know there's some states and provinces that have specific legislation about museums and um, historical societies and so just ensuring that you're not um, you know that you're cautious of the various jurisdictions that exist. Thank you. We do have a few questions coming in. So um, okay. I just want to say there, there's a message from Barb um, from the BC Interior Forestry Museum saying thanks that was great. So I just want to make sure that you saw that. Uh, we have a question here from the Bulky Valley Museum. Um, how many numbers did the sections have again? Were they five digits? Do you know what that's referring to? I'm trying to see. Oh, here. How many numbers did the sections have again? So, well, the sections, well, they, those were two-digit numbers, so 01, 02, 03, and then if you have more than nine, then 10, 11, 12. Um, so those were two-digit numbers. I think that's, I think that's what she's, or what they're asking, but please correct me if I'm wrong. I'll keep an eye on that. I also had a question from Liz asking for your contact info, and I just wanted to let Liz know and everyone else know that I'll include your email in our yeah. um, follow-up uh, email that goes out to all registrants, which has the recordings, and um, then you'll have Bronwyn's email right there. We do have a question here from Addison um, saying that was wonderful. Thank you. They have a question pertaining to museums associations. Um, they have a three-step process of records for accruals. When someone um, donates an object, we do an accession re record, an object record, and then we enter it into our system along with gift agreements. 
As a result, we have binders and binders of years past as far as 1967 that are clunky and hard to use. Do you have any tips for them? Uh, they are hoping to move things online for researchers as well, but losing that paper is frightening. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, my gut instinct is that those kinds of records would be permanent. Um, and so you would probably have to keep them <laughs> if that's what they're, if they're asking is, you know, that is unfortunate that they're clunky and hard to, well, clunky and hard to use. I would say, you know, maybe invest some time into digitizing them obviously so that they're accessible and then keeping the clunky, hard to use paper records in boxes somewhere else. Um, but I'm hoping that kind of answers the, the question. I would look at trying to maybe digitize some of those. You know, summer students are great for digitizing things. Um, and in terms of making them online, I'm not sure how you would do that, but I would not, um, I don't, I wouldn't say that those records can be destroyed after digitizing though. Just my, my gut instinct is that those would need to be kept permanently. And so um, you would need to keep those, but it'd be good to digitize them so you don't have to access the clunky binders <laughs> whenever you need to. Thank you. Um, I, have a, I have a follow up question for that. And then I'll, I have a clarification from the um, Wilkie Valley Museum. Okay. So is secondary storage of records that aren't in your facility okay? And yeah. like, can it just be like the U-Haul storage place or does it have to be uh, more formal? Is this a part of museum records that I don't know about? Like, is there a whole industry that I don't know about? Well, I mean, <laughs> I like, I know in some, you know, bigger centers, you have things like um, Iron Mountain, is that what it's called? Uh, you know, offsite record storage where you can, I think they charge a bit of a hefty fee, but you can store your, your records offsite and that's totally acceptable. But when you're looking at offsite storage, you know, you want to consider things like security. Is it a secure location? Um, what is the environmental controls like? I mean, if they're temporary records, then you don't need to be super stingy about it, but obviously you don't want to store your things somewhere where there's, you know, potential water dripping from the ceiling and ruining your boxes and things like that. But having offsite storage is totally acceptable. You just want to, you know, ensure that it's protected, that you can access it when you need it, that it's not in a yeah, place prone to flooding or pests or things like that. Thank you. I I'm, was just personally curious about that. Um, so the Bulky Valley uh, wanted to clarify. <clears throat> um, they meant that the primaries had four digits, the secondaries had two digits, and they didn't catch how many digits the sections had. Yeah, the sections is, is two, two digits. And I will be, like I said, I'll, or Lauren was saying, like the slides and all the documentation will be sent to you so you can you can take a look and and explore. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. Um, there's some good comments in the chat where Barb is sharing information about payroll records. I'm just keeping an eye on both the chat and Q&A if anyone has uh, some last burning questions to pose before we wrap up today.
front when I do want to, oh, a message. Um, uh, excellent talk, lots of great information. This will help us organize and reorganize our important information for the Vancouver Asian Heritage Month Society. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you found it valuable. Yes, thank great. you. Well, yeah. uh, if there are any other questions, oh, go, go ahead, Bronwyn. I'll just say thank you. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Um, so I, I just want to say if anyone does have any other questions uh, or think of something afterwards and they'd like to reach out, again, I will include Bronwyn's email address um, uh, in the email that will be sent out following this webinar. Where you'll also have a link to the recording. Um, that email usually goes out uh, tomorrow. It is through our automatic system. So if you don't get an email from me um, by end of day tomorrow and um, do are wondering what's happening, check your spam folder or otherwise reach out to me, Lorenza at programs at museumsassn.bc.ca. You can find my contact information on our BCMA website. Um, I just want to thank you again, Bronwyn, for joining us today. That was super wonderful. I learned a lot. The whole part of museums that I'm not very familiar with, so it's really uh, enjoyable. Thank you very much. And yes, um, I just want to encourage folks to, you're welcome. And I just want to encourage any folks who are still hanging on with us to join the BCMA for February, um, our future programming. This Friday, we have our part two of our online accessibility um, programming and marketing workshop, which is delivered in partnership with Heritage BC and the Archives Association of BC. If you have any su uh, suggestions for topics, oh, that should say 2021, or wish to present one yourself, you can email me at programs at museumsassn.bc.ca, and there will be a link to our follow-up survey in your inbox. Filling out that survey helps us um, plan our future programming. So if there's something you're looking for, or if you would like us to add something to our webinar repertoire, um, please let me know so we can do that for you. And do consider joining us in 2021 and beyond um, by becoming a member of the BC Museums Association. You have access to funding opportunities, webinar participation, reduced registration fees, and so much more. Again, thank you so much, Bronwyn, and thank you for everyone who's joined us today. I hope you have a very wonderful afternoon. Um, and I hope everyone's just diving into the records now. <laughs>